Hello and welcome to the Stacked Podcast, brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams, hosted by me, Harry Gollop. Stacked with incredible content from the most influential and successful data teams, interviewing industry experts who share their invaluable journeys, groundbreaking projects, and most importantly, their key learnings. So get ready to join us as we uncover the dynamic world of modern data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Stacked Data Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Richard He. Richard is the Director of Data Platforms for Virgin Media O2. Today, we're going to talk about the ever-evolving data landscape and how Richard has implemented a self-serve data platform at Virgin Media O2 to unlock efficiency at scale. He talks about the biggest challenges, some of his lessons, and how he would approach the problems now. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the Stacked Data Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm not bad. How about you, Harry? Yes, very good. It's it's a bit hot, end of summer, and we're the sun's out and roasting us, but all all good. How have you been the, the last week? You were at the Google conference, I remember. It was quite amazing, to be honest. It was massive, and there's so many talks being uh, scheduled at the same time. It's kind of difficult to just pick the, the ones you want to attend because there's so many you want to attend. Uh, I only managed to attend like some, uh, but it, they, the quality of the conference was really high. So, and I also had the opportunity to speak to a lot of vendors in there and networking with other engineers and leaders in the space. I think it was really kind of overwhelming and very super useful to actually see how other people in the data space solve their own problems. What are the trend and the, especially for some of the newer vendors, the software is how they have improved over the years and to you know, use different ways to solve data problems with a lot more automations, especially the Google Cloud Partner. So spent a lot of time discussing in that space. And yeah, it was fascinating. Brilliant. It sounds it. And I suppose we're going to dive into some of the, the points you mentioned about obviously understanding, upskilling, learning, and, and getting the most out of the technology that's available to us. So Richard, it'd be great just to get a, a nice overview of your, your background and, and your experience. So actually my background, I studied computer science and actually funny enough, did mobile computing in my master's degree when I was first came to the UK, but I actually never worked for a telecom until now. This is actually my first job in the telecom. So, but obviously my background is computer science, software engineering. So I, my first half of my career, probably about seven and a half years, I spent mostly as a full stack software engineer and actually, I guess it's more more backend focused. And at that time, I kind of realized I'll probably, am I a data guy? So, and then <laughs> and I came to London probably about like seven years ago, then we, when uh, I got the opportunity to work for probably one of the largest affiliate marketing companies in Europe, and then I got the opportunity to lead a team. That's where it got me into data. Actually, at the time, it's mostly when, I think it's 2014 time when Hadoop ecosystem was really taking off with a lot of, I think people say bleeding edge, but technology, but we actually managed to do a lot of things in the distributed computing world for massively scalable kind of businesses operations using the Hadoop ecosystem. That's mostly like the Kafka ecosystem, the Spark streaming, and also with Elasticsearch and HBase. So we actually built a lot of very cutting edge systems at that time. That's actually a kind of somehow accidentally got me into this data world through distributed computing with all kind of looking after the systems. 
And I guess that's probably kind of an early shape or early days of data platform back in the days. And then afterwards, I started kind of moving into the cloud world because all the Hadoop stuff back in the days was actually on-prem. So then I started working on AWS, migrated to Redshift into Snowflake. But basically in the last seven years or so, I've been specifically focusing on kind of transitioning to the Google Cloud ecosystem because I just realized, you know, I think six years ago or so, I realized BigQuery was one of these things that is going to take off massively. And then I've started helping uh, a number of companies to in their digital uh, transformation journey to kind of become a data engineer and more focused on the data ecosystem to, to help companies to really use data to address issues. And I've mostly been on the data platform side. So, and then that's primarily to kind of help the business to get made data available to them to basically make people work as efficient as possible to build their product services in a company. And yeah, so I think back me back in here, like in Media 2, I think it's about two and three, two years and three months. I joined in 20, uh, May 2021. And then that's when, yeah, back to the telecom world after, you know, started my master's in mobile computing. It's kind of quite uh, interesting to kind of finally come back around into this space, you know, start leading the Anzuran team to, to help with this transformation journey we have. Brilliant, brilliant. So a, a full circle journey. And yeah, I think it, it's clear over the years that you've become uh, a GCP GCP expert. For those of you that don't know, Richard also is the uh, channel owner of Practical GCP, where he shares practical experiences on, on how to run systems properly in production. And he's currently obviously leading the data platform team at, at VMO2. So that's what we're going to dive into today, Richard, how to navigate the ever-evolving data landscape. So first off, a new development in the, the data space over the last recent years has, has been the, the cloud data platform. So first off, for our guests, can you define what a that data platform is? Yeah, sure. I think this is a very interesting one because based on the different places I've worked and you know, involved in different medium, primarily medium-large companies, Data platforms have different definitions in different companies. So every team kind of have their own, you know, ways to set up the data platform. Because like you said, it's quite a new thing. And in my opinion, I can summarize it in probably just uh, one single thing that is a horizontal service or team to basically look after the horizontal pillar. So what I mean by that is not like you're building the verticals, which is like, like that's these two complement each other for a specific you know, data product or services that tackle a specific area. The horizontal mostly means how do you build, so that could be ranging from data engineering, MLOps, DevOps, or analytics engineering. How do you actually focus on these pillars to make the verticals as efficient as possible? So that would be my definition. And I think it's not just limited to, you know, as a support role. So some of these roles like DevOps and analytics engineering, that could be more support roles, but in terms of, they building the data models to own the single customer view in the horizontal layer for everyone else to, you know, they don't have to go to the data lake. They don't have to deal with compliance and privacy from the very ground up, right? They don't have to deal with GDPR from the very ground up. You have a framework set up to allow other people to do that much more efficiently. Or in the data engineering team, where you can build, you know, maybe services to integrate with other systems for, you know, sending communications to customers that you can actually build something more like a SaaS system internally for you, you know, for the company to use, then not every single team needs to worry about how to scale that stuff or how to connect to the third-party systems or how to get the data inside they have to your customers 
from the ground technical level, right? So, so, so these will actually enable the business to accelerate or it's to actually exponentially grow much quicker in the modern days. I think that's my definition of data platforms. But obviously, if the company is much smaller, you may only have data engineering. If it's kind of medium size, you might have a few more teams. You might have kind of dedicated DevOps. Some companies, they have different kind of line reports in different areas. So these are all good. I don't think, in my opinion, you, we need to stress too much about what the team should own, but it's more like a, what works for the business to accelerate the growth. And not everybody has to repeat again and again, especially, you know, if you deploy some services, if you're going to do it again, can we make that a blueprint, right? Rather than just trying to start from scratch, which is what I see in a lot of the businesses where they're trying to build a data product, they always start from scratch. And then including security, compliance, all this stuff that they need to deal with. And that is really time consuming where if you have a data platform team, it can really address those issues at scale. Perfect. So a data platform team is a horizontal team which supports the efficiency of all the different other verticals within the within the data team. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. And to emphasize it's actually really important that, that you know data platform us on our own, we can't actually, you know, deliver anything that is end-to-end, in my opinion. Because it is optimized in a way that the people are really good at what they do, are focused on these areas and combined as collaborative effort across different teams with different expertise, because you would have you know, software engineers focusing on building the verticals. You have data scientists building the verticals, ML engineer building the verticals, and, you know, analysts building the verticals for, you know, digging out the insights. These are all the counterparts of the platform team. So combined together, that's where you can actually achieve the exponential growth. Otherwise, you would, would not be able to do that. Brilliant. Well, that brings us on nicely. You've already, I think, alluded to a few points, but what is the end goal of a data platform? How does it data platform facilitate ROI? Is it just all about efficiency or? I think efficiency is definitely one of the most important things I would say, but it's also like a structure and security and compliance and privacy, because it's not about going fast, right? It's also about going fast without failing in, you can fail in the small areas, but I don't think most companies would allow people to get hacked, right? So, or just basically sharing your data with the rest of the world with no with no checks. So I think that's another pillar of the platform team is for all of these very difficult areas to accelerate, to give other teams a lot more efficiency, they can work a lot faster, but without varying too much about the foundation because it's baked into the platform. There's only limited amount of things people can learn or need to learn in order to accelerate without varying too much about the issues. So some of these kind of really, I can give you one example of that is like in terms of data platform what the platform team typically, uh, I, I don't like to use the word control, but it's kind of like the guidelines are set in there is, you know, not everyone should have, let's say in a in networking space, you just have ingress rules to allow firewalls to be open. So those, the teams would not have permission in those areas for good reasons, right? You don't want to give everyone permission to do this kind of stuff because when they don't understand it, it will cause problems. But what we do is we tune it to how most teams would work. And then we create some kind of framework to allow people to accelerate, but they don't really have any kind of, you know, like restrictions. They can still do it, but it would be in a safe environment, such as if you have data scientists working in experiments, right? When the environments, let's say the Jupyter notebooks we run in the GCP world, they would not have egress rules to be able to access the internet, but we can still have a, you know, artifact registry connected to how they can download all of these Python packages securely and safely, you know, internal, through our internal network with all of the security checks in place. 
or having something like VPCSC, that's more of a, where we're collaborating with other teams like the security teams. This gives us a lot more. We did actually publish articles as well in this area on the VPCSC. How did we actually put this together in our organization to make sure, you know, if you use any Google services, you can't easily just, you know, send stuff to other places. It needs specific rules to be added, which requires different teams approval. So that makes the overall experience so much safer which allows an enterprise, even an enterprise level with hundreds of people working together to be able to do things a lot faster, accelerate without worrying too much about the security compliance, privacy, or all of this kind of foundation stuff. Perfect. So, I mean, it sounds like particularly on an enterprise level, it has the ability to make sure that everyone is, is compliant and whilst simultaneously increasing the, the velocity of their work. Yeah, exactly. Because ROI means nothing if you actually have one big breach and then set you back like five years. That is, is something unacceptable from any company's perspective. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So how do you structure a team to, to build and deliver a project like this? I think this is kind of a tricky one, to be honest. When I joined here two years ago, it was just me to start with in the engineering space. So I was like, because... I've kind of worked in other organizations that are helping to do similar things, but I don't think I've ever been at this kind of position to, to lead an entire function to kind of assist and build and managing the whole function. So there was a lot of uh, trial and error and then, you know, learning from the other expertise in the industry and how other people do it and reading and exploring what are the options. But in terms of structure, to be honest, initially, I only knew like this thing is probably a data engineering team as a data platform team, right? That's where most company kind of starts. But as we kind of started to grow, because of the things that we need to build and to support different kind of part of the business for the things that, you know, how do we unlock these different kind of products and services to really develop, deliver the value or improve our, our customer experience, the team kind of started forming. We have more teams. We want to scale with more teams and the DevOps function was formed because we need a dedicated DevOps function to help other teams grow as well, right? Not, it's not just, we build everything in the platform team because initially we were kind of doing that, but then it's transitioning to what we call it DevOps decentralization to allow other team, teams to grow. So that's kind of not like something you just have from day one. It really depends on how quickly the business grows and what other skills get filled in this whole data space. And then obviously. ML is always the thing that the company wants to do for very good reasons, because you can then do personalization specifically to help your customer to get very targeted experiences, including, you know, if you, if you had a bad experience uh, with the call or you, you found a different offer from other places, all of these different things that we can help our customers to make the best decisions using the ML models to, you know, allow the customers themselves to have the data they have to make more informed decisions. And then the MLOps function was born because we need to support a large group of data scientists who are very good at what they do. But what you don't want to do is to, for everyone to start from scratch, to build your, your pipelines and training pipelines or experience from scratch on Vertex AI, right? That's very time consuming, actually, yeah, from, to, to start from that. And also all of the security and compliance side, like the thing I mentioned earlier, not having kind of internet access, but how do you do that, right? In practice, it's, it's very difficult. If you don't know, you just not yet to do that. So the analytics function, function and data modeling, that is something always kind of, you, you know, you need data models. It doesn't matter what you do, you need data models. But also, how do you get a large group of people to be able to, especially the ones owning domain knowledge and knowing how to do that. And I also know how to run SQL, which is many businesses have the same thing. They have analysts know how to run SQL, but if you don't have the tool, how do you 
you know, scale that because, okay, you can get someone to write a piece of SQL and then give you to a centralized data engineer and engineering team, which a lot of the companies still do these days, but that's not efficient because you need to get the domain knowledge out of your head and get someone else to do it, right? But if you're, they already know it, why don't you get them to do it? So that's where DBT and DBT cloud comes in. So this is where we allow the scale of uh, analytics and engineering and the data modeling effort to, uh, to be a very large group of people. I think one of the talks, one of my teams I gave recently at the event was even at the time, like I think five months ago, we had 180 users already using DBT all working very closely where we have the centralized team building the centralized models, where we have the other teams have the specific domain model knowledge, they will build their area, but this very well connected. So it's not like we're repeating the work we do. There's always kind of the center bit. There are also the bits that you have the freedom for your specific use cases. So that creates a very collaborative environment where we can accelerate by not repeating ourselves for all of these areas. So it's quite a long-winded explanation, but I just tried to kind of show the experience in terms of don't worry in the sense if you don't have all of it, uh, neither you need all of it. So I think it's very important to assess when you go to a company to see what exactly their states they're at. The company might just only need data engineering or they just very specifically focus on ML because it's a small, small startup and that's the only thing they do. You don't necessarily need all of these other functions because you know, because you don't have that many teams, right? So I think it's yeah. all subjective to who, what the business needs. And that's something as data leaders, we really can't ignore because otherwise it doesn't matter how good technically we are, there's no way we can help the business to transform. Yeah. So it's about identifying the areas in which that automation uh, from that platform perspective is really needed. And there might not be that many use cases in your business, but it's all about identifying where they are and then exploiting the what, the what the capabilities of a platform automation preventing that that repetition and uh, can can really be powerful exactly indeed so you've clearly delivered a, a very sophisticated data platform at, at vmo2 which touches many different verticals it's been a long journey what have been some of the biggest challenges that spring to mind on this journey and and what would be your biggest lessons to to, to people yeah, I think this is kind of probably quite a painful one to me. I, I would like to share. I mean, as I mentioned, when I joined in 2021, it was just me in the engineering space. And then I've only in my whole life managed small teams. I grew small teams of up to five people, including myself. So now in our team, we have 30 plus engineers. So that process of growing a team, I always call myself, I, I always still, even now, I think I'm not a very good manager. <laughs> it's, just, it's really difficult to try to understand you know, the team's objectives, trying to align with stakeholders, trying to focus on what really matters. Because digital transformation is all about, can you focus on what really matters to work on the, the really kind of big things to help the company to scale? Because the data platform is not very useful if the business cannot scale. So that is a really important part. And to understand, to work with the business on that side is very difficult while managing a team. And the other side is growing a team is not, I think, all managers will probably agree with me that growing a team from scratch is a very, very difficult thing. It's especially with what we're doing in this space. As you can see, we've won two DevOps awards over the two years continuously. And that whole process of growing the team is very, very difficult, even from a, I wouldn't say even, from specifically from a technical perspective. To be honest, I don't think I've actually would be able to lead a team if I am not technically competent. So this is kind of a very special area where you have managers that needs to be very technical in order to grow a function like this. Uh, I think that's the very difficult part because 
I think a lot of the others were probably in a similar space. We've been doing a lot of hands-on stuff, designing architectures, and I'm probably not very good at structuring the team and putting structures in place and how to help. And also hiring in the UK is like really difficult. I think we hired a very good sized team over, you know, a, like two years period of time. I don't even know how we did it. It is just, I think we, what we, the most thing we're trying to do is, I mean, from myself, starting from myself specifically, the rest of my team also do it is to share the knowledge with the industry to help more people adopting Google Cloud, because it is, in my opinion, the most data centric cloud that where you can actually do things a lot faster, a lot securely, a lot efficiently, because I've worked in other areas and I think this is probably the most efficient one. But the challenge in there of, you know, growing a team and really kind of sharing what you know, and then to do this really complex stuff in analytics and analytics operation, like, you know, plugging into APIs from the data engineering space into your data product and systems. And that is not a skill that many data engineers have or the, the rest of your teams, most of the teams have. So I think that specifically is very important and difficult because it just took a long time to, you know, grow a team of this that both have, especially in the data engineering space, that both have the software engineering skills and the data engineering skills. So that is like a, something is quite rare. I think that's one of the space I found particularly difficult. And obviously the, the structure in the team. I think if I would probably say one thing to everyone in terms of what I think is important is maybe set more structures in place at early days, because that's one of the very important things. If, if we don't have a structure, the team can get very confused about what they need to focus on or you know, like, is this like one person just does everything? Is it, do we need a team to do this? How do you engage with stakeholders? You know, who owns this priority? So I think structure is something that is really important. That's something I found very challenging, given I've only like, you know, grown small teams. And this is the first time I've done this. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like that process structure and key definitions of where someone is, what their remit is, is so important. And I can imagine hiring on, on GCP, it's the, obviously still the, the smallest cloud provider. It's the area where we are at Cognify are most busy because it's the, the hardest area to hire for because there is just less people with that direct experience. But I think that's worth noting as well for listeners that software engineering skills is a really really important skill to have as a data engineer. And, and it really helps you with accelerating your career because you have a good understanding of the scalability and, and best practices. So looking back, Richard, what would be your advice if you were to do something differently? Uh, if you were to do it all again in a hindsight perspective, what would you do differently? I think now because I've done a lot of it, I wouldn't say we're still you know, a long way to go. But we have done a lot, we've come like a long way from initially, you know, with a very small team is that I really think putting more clarity and a structure in the team at early days helps. So I know lots of people talk about agile, you know, Kanban, Scrumban, all of these different methodologies. These things do matter, but you kind of have to put them in a way that is very practical, not just use the buzzwords. And I think initially I wasn't really thinking too much when the team was a lot much smaller. Do we need these things or not? But actually I think. If I have to do this again, the, one of the first things I'll be thinking about is how do we structure the teams from early days in order to support, have focus, a clear accountability and ownership, and, and also, you know, just the structure to work with stakeholders, to work with product managers, to have that, you know, structure set up at the early days. Because that's something, to be honest, in my, from my past experiences, most data platform team, the way I see operate, don't have that. That's why I kind of didn't 
know about this, how important this stuff is in the data platform side. But actually over time, when things started forming, that it made me realize this is actually critically important. There's no different to running a, you know, just the pure software engineering team, you still need structures to, to allow the, the specific focus. Because if you don't have a structure, what you're going to get is like many companies, you just get hit by all of the technical stuff. You don't even know what you're focusing on. You know, stakeholder A wants something, stakeholder B wants something, and now you're kind of struggling with priorities. I think setting some structures up to align with stakeholders, especially senior leadership at early days, really helps in terms of how to define the long-term goals. So how do you actually grow your, your business to utilize what the platform team can actually create uh, to go with exponential scale? Yeah, makes sense. So really communication with the business aligned on priorities and then putting that structure in place from the get-go to really help make sure everyone knows exactly where they're going and, and what they're doing. So in such a large organization as VMO2, how do you guys have the agility to navigate the ever-evolving data landscape? Oh, I think that's probably a tricky one. And how do we navigate the landscape? I think this is one probably key takeaway from me is working with others that are already in the business, have good knowledge of what is happening in different areas to collaborate and build trust to work together. So what I mean by that is it's not all about Google Cloud. That is one thing, you know, I need to make it perfectly clear. It's not all about cloud providers or not all about all the DBG or the fancy BigQuery, whatever the things we call the names of the platform team or data product. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to understand, especially in large organizations and enterprises, who have been in this space for a long time, right? It's like many businesses like, you know, telecoms or banks or education industries and even some of the old like retail areas. A lot of the, the stakeholders or technical people have technical expertise in other systems, like maybe people call it legacy system, but, but the systems still work, right? So they, there are kind of older systems. But one of the key things that we can't ignore in this transformation process is to really understand where people are coming from and what this, why this system still exists over so many years, because there's usually a very good reason why they're still there. And it's not all about changing everything to cloud native overnight. And that is usually a disaster if people try to do that straight away is to have, understand the priorities of the business. Yeah, sure. We want to go exponential scale. Uh, we probably want to go all in with Google Cloud. All of that stuff does matter. But the more important thing is to work with other, uh, the existing side of the business to understand really how do we do that practically, right? To do it once at a time. If people don't buy into the idea of what we try to do, is all of this is irrelevant. It's very important to build trust with the others because at the end of the day, the only thing that speaks the truth is data. But that is a very difficult message to get to the, across in the large organization. You can't just go to someone else and say, rub a dashboard in their face and say, you are doing it wrong, right? That's just crazy. We can't do that. This is the where building trust is super important to understand where everyone else is coming from, right? What is their priorities? Why we haven't migrated this stuff into Google Cloud yet? Are there anything like methods that we can use in the interim to get the same value, but while we plan something strategic to get something textual done to fill the, the need of the business in the interim? So all of these things we need to understand. And the only way to achieve that is to, is to work with stakeholders to the rest of the business, especially the non-technical stakeholders. Not everyone understands DBT or SQL or data engineering pipelines or ML, right? So it's very important to explain this in layman's terms. So everyone is on the same page, especially using diagrams. That's actually a very easy way to define the flow of 
so everyone can speak the same language rather than just keep talking. So I think, I think that's, in my opinion, the most important thing that how it kind of allowed us to navigate in this kind of very large enterprise. And I think many would probably share the same um, as me as well. Yeah, brilliant. So it's about that communication. And I like obviously how you highlight the visualization. Uh, I know from my perspective, it's always easier to be able to visualize something, particularly when something, you, you know, your people are very unfamiliar with. And I know that there'd be many people in the organization that don't understand the mechanisms behind data. So another topic we're really keen to talk about with your yourself, Richard, is when we've spoken in the past, you've mentioned about how you've used this data, your data platform to help level up your the organization and, and level up people within the data team. So could you explain a bit and elaborate a bit on, on, on that conversation for the audience? Yes, uh, sure. So I'll probably go back to talk about these four pillars I mentioned on the four, in my opinion, in a mature data platform team, you have this four, you know, building blocks that is, is the fundamental of, you know, different kind of functions. So there are two, so in my opinion, the data engineering space, at least the engineering space, these are, sorry, data engineering space and the data modeling space. So I think some company kind of put that in inside of the analytics engineering team, but it, because it's quite new, people have to kind of different names, but let's just say the core data modeling team that have the analytics engineer skills to build the core data models plus the data engineers that build the data ecosystem to make data available or services available to the verticals. These are the level up, I would say, in these two areas is that in terms of the data engineering side, I think this is topic has been talked about quite a bit from different data leaders on LinkedIn, which I'm quite active on, is quite a lot of people, including myself, we believe the traditional data engineering job will be gone in five years. So that I know that's quite a big, bold statement, but I'll give the reasons behind that, right? And this kind of links to what a level up means. So as you mentioned as well, software engineering skill is imperative. It's something that we must know as data engineers, because I'm coming from software engineering where I feel more strongly about this. The ETL thing is kind of start disappearing. Starting from the, you know, five years ago, there was very little vendors in the space to do something called the CDC solutions. That was the infants in the early days of it. Uh, uh, it's a change data cap rate, uh, if anyone doesn't know what that is. It's basically, if you have a relational database to get that data into the cloud, in the past, you have to spend a huge amount of time doing, you know, airflow jobs and batch processes to get that data in. But that is not a thing anymore. There's like many competitors such as Stream, Click, DataStream, that is basically what Google bought, like Alumas probably turned into that. I don't know where Aluma still exists or not, but it's basically all of these, I know you have Oracle Golden Gate as well. So all of these kind of, you know, players in the space that would give you the CDC solution. There's a one, I can't remember the name, but it's open source as well. So all of these things combined, there's very limited, you know, companies still doing this kind of batch ingestion from their operational databases or relational databases. So that's kind of one thing that data engineer used to spend a lot of time on, on, you know, doing this stuff from scratch. And that used to take like, you know, five to 10 data engineers takes bloody ages to get this thing done. But that disappears, right? Pretty much for a lot of the organization, even enterprises to stop doing that. The other thing is this thing uh, around integration with third parties. This is a lot of the, let's say if you have other systems like uh, Ziltad, Braze, Salesforce, whatever, right? You, with uh, third party systems that yeah, you, in the past, the data engineer spent a lot of time going back and forth, uh, you know, sending the data out and then getting the data back in. So I think one of the articles I shared is about around Analytics Hub. That is one of the new, pretty new Google Cloud services that really kind of bridge the gaps of those kind of things because, you know, third party can basically give you a big query table. 
and share it with you via Analytics Hub. That eliminates the entire integration effort. So a lot more of these things that happen is based on a specific model called PubSub, Publisher Subscriber Model. And that basically allows the movement of data in a more event-driven or directly kind of sharing with, from publisher side that you have subscribers, it's like a magazine subscriptions. That really basically, if you see what's going on right now, there's all of this ETL parts is disappearing bits by bits. So, and that's one of the things we've been kind of discussing and debating in on LinkedIn is how many years this thing's left. But I think this, from my perspective, is that's why it's very important to for data engineer to pick up the software engineer skills. But it's not like the, the role is redundant, but it turns into data platforms. Some call it data platform engineers. So that's kind of like you build like a SaaS systems to allow massive scaling reusable components or services for the rest of the organization to utilize. So that's where it's going to play into. So it still requires the same kind of skill because you need to know how to scale, how to how the distributed computing stuff works, how the pipelines can be optimized, how to monitor these things, how to alert them on these things. But it would be basically all turned into services. That's I think that's like one of the foundations, uh, fundamental things that is changing. I spent quite a lot of time talking about this because I think this is important. Uh, I think from software engineer perspective, there, there's options people can move into data engineering to do as data platform engineers, or data platform engineers can even move into ML to do be ML engineers if they're more interested in the you know the machine learning type of things. And with generative AI made available, it will be a lot more accessible to data engineers or software engineers to get into ML. To you know the foundation models, for example, from Vertex, AI probably give you like ninety five percent, and you just do the last five percent or the last mile to optimize your machine learning models based on that just little bit that is specifically for you or for every single customer. But you do that last bit, but you don't, you know, go train a model to do generative AI for language data models. That's just not everyone's going to do. There will be key players doing that, but I think the access to the rest of the world would be fundamentally changed because of this. So I think I, I probably don't have time to talk about all of it, but I think that's one of the good examples of a level up. I want to briefly touch on the other one, which I think is also important to a lot of analytics engineers is because the analyst community is quite big. And then one of the very important things is the analysts usually, data analysts usually have very strong domain knowledge on how exactly they know how things work. And they also very often, almost nine out of 10 times have SQL skills. Some of them are okay-ish, some of them are very good. So in the past, I've seen organizations stop analysts from getting their hands on, you know, data modeling because they are not data modelers, they're just analysts, right? And then people get really frustrated because it's like, okay, I have the skills to do it, but why I can't do it? So this is where DBT comes in, especially with DBT Cloud, which is all browser-based, right? So that basically allows people to not to get really blocked down into the laptop because the security is all handled in the browser and on the cloud with everything kind of locked down. So that really enables us to scale to a large group of people doing data modeling. But you still need to structure in a very good way, otherwise turn into a mess. Well, what I'm trying to say is leveling up analysts to be analyst engineers because of that single tool. Because as lineage, you can interact with, develop everything. You can see everything. If you ask you a question, you just show them the lineage. This is how things coming in. This is the SQL. It's all clear. And it has a lot of data quality checks you can do out of the box with integrations. You can even plug in the lineage information, you know, based on the Google Cloud integrations with other tools that are, you know, specialized on governance that you can buy from vendors. So there's a lot of options in there. So that means analysts, if they choose to, you know, there, there's analysts looking at Looker and building dashboard and stuff. That's probably other things, you, you know, people kind of decided to be more focused on the business side, but there's also creating a very new group that they actually want to focus on building the data model side, right? For the business. 
So I think it's creating different layers because of the access to the skills required is much condensed to one or two things. So in this case, all you need to know is SQL and Git. Virtual control is a bit of a barrier, but it's typically two weeks and then you can start doing it, right? It's not like it's really difficult for people can't learn. But once you've got that, you've got version control and then you've got SQL lineage. That basically allows you to run production systems if the optimal is set up. But then you need data platform again to make sure this doesn't actually go out of control. Because if it goes out of control, you have a hundred truths instead of a single sort of truths. Then at the end of the day, it deliver again, nothing for the business. So this is where, again, the data platform, how it sits in. But the level up is all about how to get a group of people who, I think in my opinion, it's like, how can you identify a group of expertise who are really kind of think they can do the next thing, but it's not given the tools, they feel really frustrated. So I think that's where you, in my experience, this seems to be, you know, the platform team's job to figure out a model, how to make that work better to accelerate. Because if you have, usually in a company, you have a hundred analysts, right? But you have what? Well, you have like 10 analytics engineers. How do you bridge the gap? What if we you turn into all of the hundred? We actually have 180 in combined. So if you turn all of the analysts into analytics engineers, or maybe have half of them focus on model data modeling side, the other half focus on the more stakeholder focus side, then you suddenly have exponential growth because you just ended up you know, upscaling everybody right to the next level to be able to do the, the different kind of work, which historically the perception was only data engineers can do it. I think the whole thing, the whole world has changed because of the new tools are made available to the businesses. I think that's really the two things I felt very strongly I want to share in terms of level up the team is to, you know, do the more advanced things because of the tool you made available to you. Yeah, well, look, that's why we're we're here, right, to discuss the latest and greatest tools and processes in which are enabling organizations. I think my key takeaway points from that was that you need to identify the best tools which are going to enable your team, whether that's analysts, whoever, but you need the data platform team or, or an individual who is setting them frameworks, which will really govern how then people use that tool and and the processes that they follow to avoid that mess because i i've equally spoken to organizations where they've just been let loose on the, on something like dbt and, and and then a lot of debt builds up so i think that that emphasis on on someone who understands what good looks like and is able to build the frameworks that will govern the wider team i think that's obviously important and it sounds like that's what you're getting at too yeah exactly i think is is i would like to call the data platform teams we're all kind of evangelists so if we actually understand how something works, it's all about sharing that to let the others, how to be as good as us, kind of make us redundant over time. And then because that grows a lush, bigger community and everyone gets better, it's just a lot more interesting, to be honest, in that way. So everyone kind of feel a lot happier because they have the tools to do their job rather than I always have to throw it over the fence. But I think this whole concept kind of started with the, you know, in the ML world with data scientists. That's true. You've heard about this data science that builds some models out of Jupyter Notebook that throw all the fence or MRIs there to deliver to production. That has been going on for years, but this is where MLOps was born to exactly to solve that problem. So everyone can focus on what they're really good at without needing to learn everything and set up everything from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's been a, it's been a game changer for data scientists, right? And I feel like now, you know, data scientists was a, a hype quite a few years ago now, but I feel like they're now they're truly doing the some of the jobs in which they want to do because they can focus on 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 building their algorithms and they have the frameworks behind them which are, are exactly. supported by people in them, them areas. 
Brilliant. Well, look, I think it's been a fascinating conversation, Richard. Uh, I think there's some really interesting lessons in there, particularly for enterprise people that are working within enterprises and, and large organizations to, to think about how to structure uh, a team and how to get the most out of the, the people that you already have there, as well as the appropriate strategy for bringing in that internal expertise. So brings us to the final section of the, the show. So the final section, Richard, it's just a quick fire round of questions. We ask all the guests the same, and it's basically aimed at helping the community with job opportunities, skills, and essentially advice for how they can maybe get their next job. So the first one is, how do you assess a job opportunity in your career? And, and how do you know it's the right move for you? I think for me, in my whole career, I've never really focused on money. It, that's kind of a frank way to put it. So I've always been looking for other areas where there's a challenge in the business that I can be involved, learn from the others. Or so I think there's something for me as a challenge, like, can I give a go? But yeah, so in short, look for challenges that uh, is, is reasonable. And that's probably the only criteria for me to move. Yeah, makes sense. Challenges where you can equally add value. So next question, what's your best advice for people in an interview? I would say, well, I probably have a few, but I think one of the important things is really kind of research the company to see if there's something you want to do. I think that goes both ways in terms of the, you, you value the company that, you know, you've got to join and uh, you understand what they're doing. It's not just, I'm going to work for this job, right? So that's very important. So from the other side is also, I think this is what most managers hiring really care about is, you know, in one thing in an interview, talk about value. You know, I see a lot of, uh, especially CVs and the candidates talking about, I've used Spark, I've used BigQuery, I've done this and that, but all the technical stuff, but there's very little on what have you actually done for the business? What is the ROI? So I think this is something I was not very good at in early days of my career at all. So I had very good mentors afterwards and then telling me all of this stuff, which fundamentally changed how I, you know, focus on. And then there's very important things for all businesses. No matter whether we're technical people or non-technical people, the first thing to focus on is business value. And then that leads to technical solutions, not the other way around. So it's very important to for you know in technical interviews and to work for the to interview with the business to focus on what have you know we as technical have technical expertise in certain areas, help the business with the skills we've got, not the other way around. Yeah, that's that's a classic and it's also a a pet peeve of mine, the listing of technology, List, just listing a technology on your CV and just talking about that you've used it really doesn't help anyone understand whether you actually understand the mechanisms behind the technology or what you are doing with it. So great advice there. And finally, Richard, if you could recommend one resource to the audience to help them upskill, what would it be? I guess you mentioned my channel, right? Look at the practical <laughs> channel on my LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh, just be cheeky. Like, but to be on a, on a more serious note, I think it is something I actually spent a lot of my time on doing this. So I don't know if everyone knows, but for each video, that's probably 30 minutes. It took me average of seven to eight hours to make it because a lot of these things, I don't know the details either, but by sharing those things, it really forced me to learn this again from scratch, just to make sure I check everything over. I don't, I'm not talking something that is nonsense. I really want to kind of, you know, for others to understand this easily, how do I explain it in, a, in an easier way? So I think that's something I put a lot of effort in. If people find, like any, anyone find this interesting topics I've been talking about in there, I do think, you know, give it a try to see if it's actually helpful or not. I think one other thing I feel, obviously, 
it's very important to be practical because at the end of the day is about, you know, that there's a job we need to do to focus on the value we have to deliver, right? So if it's just the certification, it doesn't really work, but it is useful in the way I explained. I'd just like to reiterate the audience checking out Practical GCP, Richard's YouTube channel. I've, I've sent a few candidates there within the GCP space who have all spoken very highly about the content. So um, definitely give it a, a look at if you're in the GCP environment or looking to move into that space. But for now, Richard, I uh, will have to say thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to speak with me and, and share your, your learnings and your lessons with the audience. I hope you've had a, hope you've had a good time. Amazing. Thank you very much. And thanks for the invite. No worries at all, Richard. Have a lovely time and we'll uh, see you again soon. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I really hope you've learned something. I know I have. The Stack Podcast aims to share real journeys and lessons that empower you and the entire community. Together, we aim to unlock new perspectives and overcome challenges in the ever-evolving landscape of modern data. Today's episode was brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest releases. More importantly, if you believe this episode could benefit someone you know, please share it with them. We're always on the lookout for new guests who have inspiring stories and valuable lessons to share with our community. If you or someone you know fits that bill, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've been Harry Gollop from Cognify, your host and guide on this data-driven journey. Until next time, over and out.